unstructured creative time is one of the things that we are missing in terms of hitting the ultimate goals of education. If the ultimate goal of education is to have people who can th think around corners, solve problems, there is literature out there that says we don't do that if they're sitting at a desk all day being talked at. This is episode one of Small Indiana, the EdTech podcast. Today I traveled to Brebuff Jesuit to meet J.D. Ferris Rowe, the CIO. But before you listen to the podcast, I thought it would be a good idea to go into some details of some events and some conferences that are happening around Indiana, and there is a big one coming up. Now, disclaimer. I'm not receiving any compensation to promote these events. I just feel like we all get busy sometimes and may need a reminder about things that are happening so that we can register for them. The Indiana Connected Educators Conference, or ICE for short, is hosting their annual conference called Level Up. It happens October 11th through the 13th at Noblesville High School. Now this year, their pre-conference schedule is loaded. They have activities on October 11th that will feature a free hashtag Indiana eLearn Coach EdCamp event. If you're a coach, you probably don't want to miss that. Also, you can participate in a special all-day maker workshop on October 11th as well, and they are promising that you can build your own 3D printer. It sounds amazing. So, their registration link and all of the details can be found at tinyurl.com slash iceindiana2017. Now, if you know of any events happening and would like them detailed on the podcast, just fire an email to smallindiana at gmail.com or reach out on Twitter at smallindiana. Nothing delights me more than the 30 minutes that you are about to have with Mr. J.D. Ferris Rowe. This guy just kills it when it comes to design thinking and innovative spaces. And we just had a phenomenal conversation, not only about things that were happening in the makerspace world and educational technology, but we got into a little Star Wars to start out with, your run-of-the-mill geek stuff, and also what it's like to raise kids in this digital age and digital citizenship. So without a moment to spare, let's jump right in to episode one with Mr. J.D. Ferris Rowe. Yeah, I, think, I think the goal is just to be slightly better than episode one because it's pretty terrible. <laughs> you just need fewer green screens. I, there's a conversation here, and I want this podcast to not only be about educational technology, but also entertaining. Yeah. And I think since we're in the geek realm, we like Star Wars and Star Trek and all that fun stuff. When we talk about episode one, I was talking to uh, some people in my family, and they said, uh, you know, they've got small children, and I have a two-year-old, and trying to introduce that into yeah. their realm, you know, uh, we're raising geeks, obviously, in this in this field, and you're a parent as well, so you get it. We I have uh, a t-shirt that says, you show episode four first, that's just good parenting. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. The conversation basically turned into, where do you start them? Where do you start, like... There's so many options, right? Sure. So you can start them at four, five, and six. You can give them the extended versions, or yeah. do you start them at one? Ooh, I wouldn't recommend that. My daughter is obsessed with BB-8. So, like, yeah. we watch. I, I know she doesn't get it, but we, we watch a little bit at, you know, The Force Awakens. And I'm okay with starting her at seven. I've always felt like it was a rehash yeah. of four. And then, um, and then maybe go down to four, five, and six. I know you can't tell one story without telling the others, but I have a family member that was adamant, no, you start them at four, five, and six. You get them into the way we were introduced yeah. to it. We started with four. But I will say, like, we did, um, when Episode 7 was coming out, my daughter had a sleepover at her house, the first the first big high school sleepover at her house, and, you know, six friends, as opposed to some of her friends who were having, like, 40 friends over at their house. And um, 
they watched one through six straight through over over two days, and then we went to watch episode seven in IMAX. Or in IMAX. And we got done, and she got done and says, I really like episode two. I'm like, okay. really? She goes, yeah, as long as you cut out all of the cheesy dialogue and the whole romance aspect, <laughs> right. I really like episode okay. two. Okay, right. Oh, her favorite out of all of those. Well, she, she goes back and forth. Now it is clearly Rogue One. Rogue right. One is her. Yeah, because now you've got stories in That's between. Ma'am, yeah. And like our kids, or I guess my, they're going to be exposed to six brand new stories. Oh, yeah. Where do you, because I think the conversation now is with, with as young as our children are, how do we introduce it and where do we start? Yeah. I'm just a, like, if I start at seven, I'm okay, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I think I'm okay starting because they're going to have six stories to yeah. think about. And then maybe when they're older, they could appreciate four, sure. five, and six. And then, you know, when in their dark ages, they may go to yeah. one, two, and three. <laughs> Just don't start with Battle Beyond the Star. Let's get to, into what we're here to talk about. And I, yeah. I really want to discuss your makerspace. Sure. And for those of you that, that follow JD on Twitter, huge makerspace guy. And this is, you're into like your second revision. This is our second revision. Our first one, um, we, we did a renovation of our library media space where we wanted to combine computer science and library services and computer technology all into one big space. And one of the challenges that we had right at the end of the design process was makerspaces were becoming big. And I'm like, we can't redesign the entire library and not include a makerspace. So I did the pitch to the board and I did the pitch to the president and we talked about what we wanted it to be. And we had one larger collaboration room that was like 10 by 10. And he said, well, you can turn that into a makerspace. I'm like, okay, but we're going to outgrow it. Just be aware. Right. And we did. We outgrew it in a year. And we started talking about what is the purpose of our makerspace? What do we want the makerspace to do? And when we decided that what the goal of the makerspace was, was to not only give kids a place to be creative without the pressure of you're getting graded on this, but also to intrigue students who may not be of the geek genre, um, you know, that everybody could have fun programming. Everybody could have fun building with Legos. Everybody could make a puppet. At that point, we were like, there's just not enough traffic through this one space, 10 by 10, with one door. And at some level, our kids are too polite. If they look over and they see three kids working around a table, right. clearly working on stuff, they don't want to go interrupt. And so they just stayed out of the makerspace, and it became kind of like this home for geeks. <laughs> which is great, and I want them to have a place, but it wasn't fulfilling our original purpose. So when we had um, a bunch of librarians um, visit Rebuff um, for a librarian's mini-conference for Indiana... There were a couple of really good makerspace people there, and I showed them kind of the struggles we were having, discussed with them. And at the same time, our teacher resource room, which we've always been a huge fan of giving teachers a place that is not the lunchroom where they can talk and collaborate and create, was getting less traffic. And so in it getting less traffic, we said, okay, what do we need to revise, redesign, how can we do this? And we said, well, let's take the space of the teacher resource room, which is five times bigger than the makerspace, and let's create a space where we have all of the tools and toys, but we have more room. And we have two entrances and exits, so there's a natural flow through. It's got big windows in it so that people can look in and see what people are doing. Because when we hook up the HTC Vive in the teacher resource room, we would have kids looking through the windows and right. coming in and asking them. We're like, yeah. that's what we want the entire makerspace to be. So that's what we designed. I know initially when, when I talked 
about it around uh, people where you're just giving kids a place to play. And, you know, yes. and, and I think that is, and, and, and the answer is yes. Like, right? Like, for some reason, that that tends to be a negative connotation of a makerspace. And where was your headspace at when you initially came up with it as far as, like, administration and things coming to you and saying, you know what, I kind of worry about what this will be and become. Because I know, you yeah. know, we understand, like, we want kids to play. We want them to be creative. We're trying to foster that in these students. Yeah. But there are those in the realm that will say, uh, you've got Legos and you've got puzzles and you've got Spheros and you got virtual. Re- what else are you? Doing and honestly, there? there is some of that. Um, like we we still get some pushback on that. I think part of our one thing that we have the benefit of is there is now some literature that unstructured creative time is one of the things that we are missing in terms of hitting the ultimate goals of education. If the ultimate goal of education is to have people who can th- think around corners, solve problems, there is literature out there that says we don't do that if they're sitting at a desk all day being talked at. And so we, we rely on the literature for the people who push back the most. The second thing that we had was a lived experience. We had a student who came to us as a senior and said, what I would love, what I would love to do, I, I love these 3D printers. This is five, six years ago. So I love these 3D printers. Um, I've got this idea that I could use it for my art. What do you think about this? Is there a 3D printer you'd recommend? I'm like, I've been wanting to get a 3D printer, but I haven't been able to figure out, get my head around how we would use it and everything. Why don't we create an independent study for you? We'll partner with the art teacher who does sculpture. I want you to work with him on the artistic aspect. You'll work with me on the technical aspect. And he became kind of our 3D printing guy. Right. And I knew that we were onto something amazing when he, he wanted to create, he called it his Brabuffalo. <laughs> a buffalo with the bee. Okay, <laughs> and it was right. Thing. Yeah, and, and he like had this dream that it would become the new mascot. That it okay. would become oh. a keychain. Oh wow! Yeah, really, <laughs> evidently he'd been talking about this since like his freshman year. His first version came out and it looked terrible. The bee was slumped down on the side. <laughs> it looked like a buffalo with a disease. But he went back to the drawing board and he made it. And his second one was awesome. And I'm right, like, that's so cool. And right. his teacher gave him his art teacher gave him a grade. He got an A. And I gave him a grade, and he got an A, and done. And then the next week, he came in with design number three. By the end of six weeks, while he's working on other projects, and he's a senior, and he's, he did six drafts, four of which had no grade. And I'm going, oh, we're on to something right. now. Right, yeah, absolutely. And then it was later on when you know he brought a bunch of kids in from his like economics class to show them a 3D printer and show them the potential of 3D design. And we started making challenge cards. Our original challenge cards were 3D printing challenge cards. Can you make a chain that has no fusion marks? Can you make a chain that is a chain as it is printed? And kids would take up that challenge. We had a slinky challenge. The slinky challenge took us three years. (laughs) My hardware tech got involved. Oh, boy. Different PLA and everything. But the goal was, can you make a slinky? And the day that the slinky that we created went up on Hackaday and was on the main page of Hackaday, the kids were walking around like they were famous. We have given them celebrity. You've given them celebrity. And I think the biggest thing that I always recognized after my early years of teaching where I was making a ton of mistakes and not knowing where to go, uh, especially in a project-based class, once you gave students a, just a little bit yeah. of freedom, they take it and run, and yeah. you're like, holy cow, i got to rethink everything that I, I thought I knew about managing kids in my classroom and figuring out what was good for them and what wasn't good for them and like having a structured outline. Sometimes it's just like, I've got this idea. 
I want you all to be a part of it. Yeah. Now let's go. Oh, the number of times that we, I just say, you're my guinea pigs. I have no idea if this is going to work. I'm probably going to fall flat on my face. <laughs> right. You get to make fun of me. Um, when we first in the digi- uh, second year of the digital citizenship class, um, I had just come back from ISTE and I had gone to a workshop on um, Makey Boards and Scratch. And I bought 12 Makey Boards and a ton of Play-Doh and collected cardboard from the summer. And all the kids are looking in this corner going, what is all that? I'm like, that's our last project. Don't, don't worry, just that's our last project. And so my daughter, who was four years old at the time, maybe three years old, we made a banana piano at our dining room table using a makey board. And then I showed them a YouTube video of her playing her banana piano. And I'm like, my four-year-old made a banana piano. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> Your challenge, oh, high school kids, is to beat that. Right. Good luck. This was when the uh, uh, Kate's Carnival was big on mm-hmm. YouTube, the right. cardboard carnival yep. stuff. And I said, that's what I, I want an arcade. Like, I want carnival games. And so we started it with a pilot in the summer school class, and then we built to making it part of the digital citizenship class. That it was, whatever you want to do, make a carnival game. And we had first-person shooters, and we had um, that really annoying twisty game with the metal ring. Okay, and yeah. And we had... Um, a whack a shark. They would come up and they would get so intense. Um, when that pancake game was really popular, right. on, on the on the iPad, yes, right. they made a live one <laughs> with like a cardboard frying pan. That's and they incredible. had to flip everything, and they just came up with such creative ideas. And it was using you know a Mickey board and play doh and cardboard and tin foil, and they loved it. And they were so creative about it. And at the same time, we're teaching systematic thinking. We're teaching design thinking. And for the kids who are doing scoreboards and everything else, we're teaching loops and switches. It's everything they needed to know. And so as we started thinking about the practical applications, that's where we are able to say the makerspace is teaching those skills in a way that they're not even aware they're learning them, but they do have application in the classroom. They do have application in your in your future life. And I think that... That's happening in classrooms because I, I just got done reading 20 Time Project. And as I'm reading that book, there are so yeah. many things that I think teachers are doing, they don't even know they're doing. Yeah. You know, when they do a project and they're teaching kids, you know, to be passionate and to break that project up into different elements, now they'd be a little bit more structured than sure. what, the, what the idea of a makerspace or a 20 Time Project would be. But they're, they're teaching those kids those skills without even knowing they're, they're teaching them. And I think if they were a little bit more aware, they may give, I just like give them a little bit more freedom, let them be a little bit yeah. more creative. Well, and it's interesting as you go through the, the curriculum revision process, and I, I love the idea that curriculum is constantly revised. I mean, the Digicit class constantly sitting down going, hey, digital distraction is actually a real thing. How are we teaching that? How do we teach those coping skills? News literacy is a real thing. How are we going to get news literacy right. in the classroom in a realistic way? Um, you know, like... Six years ago, we didn't teach confirmation bias and backfire effect. That's a unit in the system now. And so we noticed that it ebbs and flows because you always have so much content that you're like, okay, I've got to rein in their freedom now because I need to teach some content. But then we always go back to the class is less enjoyable, their retention is less, their active learning and engagement is less. Okay, we need to give them back some more freedom. So, like, we had 20% time in the system for a while. Then we switched to carnival days. Then we went down a little bit more and a little bit more, and we kind of almost didn't have carnival days because we had so much content. And I was like, you know what? The class is kind of boring now, and the kids aren't really engaged, and they're not signing up for advanced computer science classes. What do we need to do? Well, let's bring it back. So our our 20% time is now called the Day 5 Project. We're on a five-day rotational schedule. And we're just saying, 
you know, on day one, the 40 minute class that everybody has, that's your time. Find the project that engages your brain, that makes you excited. I love it. You do the research. Just know that at the end of the semester, whatever you did, you're going to showcase it. And, and that's your day. <laughs> and, you know, they're freshmen, so you're going to have check-in times and you're going to have pitch sessions and you're going to have those things because that's part of real life. Like, I couldn't build the makerspace without pitching the makerspace. And I believe you pitched it well because you got to do a second <laughs> version of it. I did. <laughs> They didn't say, well, you've ran out of space, you're done. <laughs> you talked about going to a conference like ISTE yeah. and seeing an idea and bringing it back. Yeah. Is that the goal of every conference you go to? I, I definitely go to, like, my my general rule for conferences is, you know, just because of cost and everything else, because ISTE is not cheap, FETC is not cheap. Um, so I always go to a conference, like, my, my rule number one is I, I need to be presenting at it, I need to be sharing some of the stuff that we're doing. Then my second rule immediately after that is, what am I going there to learn? What am I going there to bring back? And I very seldom get it on the vendor floor. Like, um, when I'm active in blogging and my blogging goes up and down over the years, um, I often will have my, these are the buzzwords on the vendor floor. Watch out for this. Um, <laughs> Do not say this at the, booth number 205. <laughs> the, oh, man, the year that that individualized learning which according to the vendor floor was anything but what any teacher would think of as individualized learning right. and they had signs everywhere that was individualized learning you don't need to know your students at all and we're still individualizing i'm like oh you so missed the point right um but yeah i want to go and learn something so like this last ISTE conference i i because we knew we were expanding the makerspace, because I'm very into um, student voice and student empowerment and getting kids to communicate in different ways, um, I wanted to spend a lot of time with animation. I wanted to spend a lot of time with podcasting. And so how do we make the students not only have an authentic voice, but be able to share it with an authentic audience? So we built the podcasting studio, but then I went and saw how other teachers had done podcasting, either as part of the newspaper or part of the athletics department or part of a radio station. And so we started watching what worked and what didn't work with experts who've been doing it longer than we have. Um, I got really into animation. I did not think I would, like, fall in love with stop-motion animation again. Like, I, my first stop-motion movie was, like the sketch drawings on paper when I was eight years old right. and like, you know, super eight millimeter that I found in my parents' basement. Um, and to be able to create these, these boxes that have all of the equipment in it that you need to take your phone, pop your phone in and you are making stop motion movies. And again, now my daughter who is eight years old, we made our first stop motion movie together. That's incredible. Cause if I can teach it to an eight year old, I can teach it to a high school kid. And now I'm beginning to get to the point where if we don't need to teach it. So when we make our Makerspace challenge cards, it's like all of the instructions you need are on the challenge card. If you need help, there's people around. They're probably students too. have fun. And that's what we're doing. So we've got like, we're working on our third animation kit so that we could have run three separate animation boxes out of the Makerspace. You've got 3d printing stations. You've got podcasting stations. You've got virtual reality you got an HTC Vive. You have all the stuff that like any major technology or or what we would call head geek in schools would like salivate over. Yeah. So what what makes this work? There are a lot of people that have tried makerspaces, and I've seen some yeah. uh, that I would say kind of fall short of of what I would consider creates a collaborative environment. Yeah. But like, what what do you believe made this work? And not only 
not only financially, but like sustainability in, in the buildings? Um, I don't, and I don't know if I have all the answers yet, because part of, part of why we expanded into the bigger spaces because it wasn't all working. But what, one of the things that has been powerful for us is we had a couple of students who were um, active with the 3D printer freshman year who had worked with me during the summers as technologists, and they became my co-presidents. I think they fight over who's president, who's vice president. <laughs> as of, high schoolers uh, will do. As they will. <laughs> Got to get that resume filled right. out. Um, <laughs> but they, they got into owning the maker space and so they created a maker club and the maker club kind of directed things so the first time they came in and they said hey we want to do something with virtual reality and we the vibe didn't exist then we did google cardboard and we had we you know got a hold of 10 google cardboard sets five of which we made and just had kids experience a little bit of virtual reality so that by the time the google expeditions kit became a thing for classrooms our kids already knew what you could do with it the expeditions was not a shock to the teachers because they'd heard the kids talking about it so the student ownership aspect is a lot of it um when we first designed the makerspace one of the one of the kids came in and said can we get a sewing machine and i'm like oh, man i remember making pillows with the sewing machine and i hated that oh boy okay yeah yeah <laughs> what do you want to do with the sewing machine they're like make puppets i'm like well, then we got to get material, and we need googly eyes. And yeah. like, I'm sitting there, there's like a whole booklet of googly eyes sitting like two feet away from us. Um, and the the sewing kit didn't come out in the first year. As part of that, you know, the kids were building robots with mindstorms. The kids were 3D printing, and nobody was using the sewing kit. When we moved into the bigger space, one of the co-presidents goes, we have a sewing machine. We totally need to take this out. Let's do something with them. I'm like, the original idea was to build puppets. They're like, puppet day. <laughs> oh, man. And so they're planning on, like, um, we had a Sphero obstacle course day last year um, where they 3D printed obstacles okay. and ran the Sphero through. We took it's over cool. the bottom part of the library, and they yeah. took over with the Sphero obstacle course. That was a big hit. We've done a couple of the VR days that, that are always a big hit. Um, and so we're planning puppet day. Um, they've got they we they had one time where they printed like golf clubs and golf balls out of different materials and different densities to see what you could and could not do with golf balls. So we have like spiky golf balls that weigh like a ping pong does and heavy golf balls that are completely round and you know, like and I'm saying they're going, You're doing science experiments. Oh yeah, then they don't like, even know it. They don't even know it. It's like you're you are you are hiding yeah. <laughs> you are you are hiding traditional my, my, my <laughs> physics teacher comes in and he goes can I borrow those? Because we're going to run them down the ramps. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's perfect. I see a lot of dragon uh, yeah. paraphernalia. So, And there's like a... Ma like If you follow JD anywhere, you notice that he's got mascots yeah. for things. So tell me a little bit about the background. So on... the mascots started... Uh, my, my my partner in crime, Jen LaMaster, Jay LaMaster on Twitter. Or uh, she's not Jay LaMaster anymore. She's 40-ish Oracle on oh, Twitter. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jay LaMaster. JenLaMaster.com. She's like giving me signals through the window of making sure that I get her name right. But she uh, she was uh, given a dragon after being told at another conference about the the problem, the the dragons of education technology, the dragons of education. Okay. You know, like yeah. here there be dragons, and we were like, oh, we're gonna own that. Yeah, absolutely. And so the first mascot that we had was this little green stuffed dragon. And then we were like, well, we need a big dragon because technology is huge. So we had a custom-made giant red dragon. And the, the giant red dragon, um, when you 
push down on him. He says, have you tried turning it off and back on again? So he became the <laughs> IT dragon. <laughs> oh, great. And then, like, the next year we needed a, something for ed tech because we needed to focus a little bit more on ed tech and a little bit less on the it stuff right and so we created the ed tech dire wolf okay and awesome then from there it just became every conference we go to we pick up something else <laughs> and we just keep so we have this cluster of stuffed animals and statues and, and you're stuff. you don't know if you've assumed you haven't assumed like have you like been around fire lately you haven't assumed any like powers of the it dragon have you no. like yeah you're not there yet not no, yet you're not riding any of these dragons <laughs> around the library <laughs> but that with is... stop motion animation we now could. oh that's absolutely right yeah with with everything in here i'm sure you could come up yeah. with some type of of trailer for that that would be amazing before we go i do want to touch upon you, your girls because I, I know yeah. you have you have two girls three three girls uh wow that's the research of the podcaster <laughs> uh the you have three girls and uh varies in age and um as they're coming up and i know this is something i kind of worry about a lot as a parent i have a two-year-old so not really concerned too much with it you know too much screen time probably right sure. now but as far as digital citizenship goes as a parent not so much your educational director, you know, the ed tech director, the director of technology, the CIO of Burbuff. What are some of the things that you're trying to instill in your, in your kids? Probably the, uh, this had, this happened for those of you follow me on Twitter, you know that I don't use my girls' names very often. So the oldest one is a sophomore here at Burbuff or going to be a junior here at Burbuff. She's daughter prime. Um, and then the middle one is an eighth grader and she's the undivided middle. And, um, the two of them had phones early on, and we probably outside of what is completely regulation, they had Instagram accounts and, and Google Plus accounts. And I remember sitting down, flipping through their photos, as you know, a good parent knows what the kids are doing on social media. Absolutely. And, and I'm flipping through their photos, and and I like looked at my wife, and I'm like, I think I have to have a conversation with the girls. <laughs> oh no. And she's like, she she was like, oh no, <laughs> yeah. That's it. As any response would be from my wife as well. Oh no. And the and the, the concern was not anything inappropriate, and, and that's not that those conversations don't happen. But that wasn't the issue. The issue was so many selfies. <laughs> and and I sat them down, and I'm like, you know, trying to talk to an eight year old and a six year old about like identity development, right? I, but I'm like, I said, you know, there's so much to enjoy about the world when i look at your feed and i see 20 pictures of you making various expressions that you see celebrities make it makes me worried that you're too focused on you and not focused on what's going on outside for buff we've got this phrase that came from the jesuits it's finding god in all things we really believe that here and that's what i wanted to instill to the girl so i'm right. like I don't know that you're finding all of the potential of the experiences of your life if your number one goal is to take a picture of yourself. Right. And they kind of internalize that. And we revisit it, and it's not like they don't ever take selfies because, you know, they're kids. Right. But um, it really kind of struck home that that's the type of conversations you have, that you have conversations with them about the type of people you want them to be. And that even technology like Instagram or even technology like Snapchat should be a way for you to tell the world who you are and share your experiences in a way that makes the world a better place. Oh, and that's so, such a powerful message. I mean, that's it's common sense. I think it's a hard conversation to have with kids. Sure. And I think that's why a lot of 
I know a lot of educators and, and some parents, they struggle with how do I have that conversation yeah. in my classroom with kids that I'm sure are going to look at me and go, well, they're just being an old fuddy-duddy. They don't really understand. I was, I was helping teach a summer school class one year, and one of the and we did a research project. And it's always like it's a blast to watch kids begin a research project when they have the worst study skills ever because you're like, we're going to do a research project, and they all open up PowerPoint. <laughs> They're like, why are you opening up PowerPoint? Like you said, we were going to do a presentation, right? Oh no, no, yeah. Um, but I wa- I watched a girl, and it 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 kind of struck home with me in a way that I never realized was going to happen because I just kept seeing her look at her phone. Her phone would blink. She would look at her phone, and in the course of a ten minute research cluster, she looked at her phone twenty times. So she had five minutes left. So I videotaped her. No sound. Just just right phone focused on her went up to her and said hey did you know in the 15 minutes that we were researching you looked at your phone 48 times she goes no i didn't i'm like mm, you did she goes no i'm like do you mind if i show it to the class right She's like, no so we put the five minutes on she's like her face drawn and that's what we began saying you know like corporation's goal is to make you have a pavlovian response to look at your phone because they need to show you advertisements or they can't make money. Right. And they're much better psychologically at it than we are prepared to be. And so teaching those tools of self-awareness, those tools of distraction control, that's part of our job now. Yep. Because human beings evolutionarily don't have this gene. We have to build this capacity up ourselves. And so we have frank conversations about it and we find tools and we discuss what are the methods that you have for putting your phone away. And I think we do it as a parent, too. Now, this is coming from a guy who just bought his 8-year-old a T-shirt that, like, has a chainsaw on it and says, I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I've watched a number of YouTube videos. <laughs> right. Like, she went, she went to her mom last year and said, for Christmas, can I get an arc welder? And my wife's going, going I'm not buying an 8-year-old an arc welder. And she said, oh, we don't have to build one. I just need an old microwave oven. Oh, boy. I can build one. I saw it on YouTube. You don't want to kill that level of creativity and no. excitement. But you do want to rein it in when you realize that they've been watching YouTube for five hours. Right, yeah, exactly. I'm just amazed at, like, where, where, we, where we started out in digital citizenship as, all right, well, just be careful of what you say, be careful of what you post, yeah. to now, like, digital distraction and fair use and copyright yeah. and, and, you know, journalism, you know, the, all that stuff that that wasn't even a part of what no. digital citizenship would have been five years ago. Right. And it, I know it will evolve five years from now. Well, and even ISTE's recognizing that. I mean, if you look at the ISTE standards, I considered all of the ISTE standards digital citizenship. They considered digital citizenship, be safe, don't do bad things, don't break copyright. Right. And like, that's an aspect. Right. But it's the, in some ways, the smallest aspect of it. So we don't even talk about, like, we don't talk exclusively about being safe online anymore. We talk about identity management. Like you are putting, you are projecting out a, an identity and you want that identity to make the world a better place. And so your responsibility is to understand what image, what projection, what you are putting out to the world. And then in some ways you have a responsibility and obligation to put out good content about yourself, about the things you're doing about your world. And then when you take in the good content, that becomes the the magic of social media is that conversation. How do you manage distractions as far as it you know being in technology constantly email message sure. Twitter? How do you manage that aspect of of not being distracted? 
Um, it's tough. Like I, I kind of, I fell into a book that came out a number of years ago about like doing things the Google way. And I kind of loved how they clustered things by topic. And so I'm not a person who answers email immediately. I wait until I'm doing email or I cluster all of the things I'm working on for like, you know, this summer we have purchasing. And so I will just focus on purchasing for a half hour and then go on to something else. Um, I do kind of the same thing with social media anymore. I used to be on Twitter, you know, constantly. And then, you know, my numbers were great. Like when I was on Twitter 100% of the time when I was participating in 15 Twitter chats a week. <laughs> right. I mean, it was incredibly fulfilling and I got my name out there and my, my follower count went up and my blog was in the top 50 on the, on the teach 100. And, but I wasn't spending enough time with my family and I wasn't enriching myself and I kind of felt like I was having the conversation with myself that I had had with my daughters about <laughs> Instagram. I'm like, yeah. okay, I need to pull back. You know, it became, okay, if I'm going to be on Twitter and I do this when I'm on Twitter, I'm on Twitter. I am for the next hour and a half. I'm going to respond to people. I am going to look at Twitter. I'm right. going to be part of a chat. I'm going to communicate. And then when I'm not on Twitter, it's in the background and I try not to look at it. And you know, I, I, I was a Google Glass wearer. I loved Google Glass, like, with a passion. I thought it was the and greatest it, dimension of all time. Quick. When it When it died, <laughs> I mourned. And, but the reason why is because Google Glass was a tool that helped you get away from your phone. Yeah. I could quickly look at a message, know if I needed to respond to it, ignore it, and my phone never came out of my pocket. The same way and that's how I feel about my watch. Yeah. The smart right. watches are the same way. Like, they are tools that if you use them right... They keep you from falling into the trap of looking at your phone because nobody ever looks at their phone to respond to a text message and feels like they have been distracted. It's when you look at your phone to respond to a text message and 35 minutes later, right. you realize that you checked Facebook and Snapchat and played a game and all of a sudden you've lost all of that time and you have no idea what's going on in the world around you. So part of that digital distraction piece is being disciplined about, you know, do I need to pull my phone out and and making that conscious choice not to because I've yet to figure out how to pull your phone out and not get distracted. With we, we were having this discussion, we did a professional development on digital distraction where we brought students in to talk about digital distraction with the teachers and when they are and are not distracted as a professional development activity. And as we're planning this activity with principal assistant principal and myself, we had this three-minute period where we all stopped talking because the principal has pulled out his phone and gone down the rabbit hole. Oh, boy. And we were, like, in the middle of talking about, well, we're going to have the teachers do a distraction journal like we have all the digital citizenship kids do <laughs> about... And then, like, when you uh, attention, to... everyone, if you'd... <laughs> <laughs> like, after about three minutes, he looks up and goes, oh, I totally just did it, didn't I? <laughs> but then he shared that story with the entire faculty and staff. Right. And he got the nods. We all do this. And we just, we're not disciplined. We don't have the, the discipline to not be distracted by it without being conscious about it. So, like, anytime we discover trips, tips or tricks or anything like that, um, my daughter discovered, stumbled across that Forest app, which mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to 
go anywhere. I just don't, I don't see the market that they've got on it. Right. But literally, like, you grow a bunch of trees based on the amount of time you don't look at your phone. Boy, that becomes a challenge. She's <laughs> like, I want the tree that has the fountain growing out of it. I need to not look at my phone for two hours. Right. So she just, It's like, going to be you know, hard. Well, I've got my science class, and then I've got my lab, and then, okay, I can totally do this. And she sets the tree, and then she just, like, does her stuff. And then she comes back, she That's says, awesome. I got the tree with the fountain. We see a need <laughs> yeah. to fill, but, yeah, like you said, how are they going to market that? That, you know, yeah. try not to look at your phone for right. two hours and see what happens. Yeah. JD, this has been phenomenal. Thank Thanks. you so much. I appreciate Thanks letting me come in having and seeing everything. So tell everybody, one. yeah, so yeah, episode one, uh, <laughs> <laughs> tell people where they can find you. Um, easiest way to get hold of me is, is Twitter. I'm JD Ferris, J D F E R R I E S on Twitter. Um, and then I'm JD Ferris across the board. So LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, if it's JD Ferris, I'm pretty sure it's me. Um, so you're more than welcome to get a hold of me however you want. The blog is geekreflections at blo- or geekreflections.blogspot.com. Um, and I continually make promises to myself that I will start blogging again at some point. And then, um, occasionally <laughs> somebody asked me the other day, they said, uh, so where can we find you on your blog? And I'm like, uh, it's smalledtech.com. But to be honest with you, like I haven't touched the thing for a year. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things where like. So then I got me thinking, like, let's start this podcast. Yeah. Because I could do this. I'm cool with this. I want I want to see people's stuff. I want to play with all the toys. And I want to talk geek. And I yeah. want to talk and I want to talk nerd stuff. Yeah, I think I've, got, I've got this dream right now of turning my YouTube channel into something focused on um, the human foibles section of digital citizenship. There you go. Like, I've got this beautiful one on faulty generalizations right now that I'm like, oh, this could be so much fun. Um, for me, if for no one else. Right. Um, but so we'll, we'll come up with something, but JD Ferris will always be the place to we'll always be the me. place to find you on, on any social media. Thanks again. I awesome. appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you.